Thank you, Pastor Nestor. Uh, Pastor Nestor was uh, mentioning earlier that this is his community, the Bahandi, Bahandi singers, uh, that they were friends way back in the Philippines as well. Um, but I feel like he's not telling us whether or not he was part of the Bahandi singers or not. <laughs> was he? Was he a Bahandi singer? I, I'll, I'll ask him later. No? You were just friends. You were just friends. Like, I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for Pastor Nestor for his solo, right? To, he's... Moses sang, and I'm waiting for Pastor Nestor as well. Because that would be, I'll come back for that. I'll come back for that. It's a delight to be here again. Uh, It's been quite a while uh, since I've preached here. Uh, I I don't even remember what year it was. Uh, A few years ago, I came and spoke, and I spoke upon uh, the prophet Jonah, uh, and just really enjoyed being here with you, uh, and I've enjoyed uh, getting to know over the years, not just Pastor Nestor, but Pastor Tamika as well. So it's just a delight for me to be invited back and to be here. So thank you. According to the scriptures, it says that the disciples were gathered together in one place. They were gathered together praying, seeking after God, waiting for what to do next. According to the scriptures, about 50 days previous, Jesus had just died and risen, and he spent time with them. Jesus, their rabbi, their master, their teacher, had been worshiping, ministering with them for three solid years, these disciples had followed him. And 50 days ago, according to scripture, he had been crucified. He had risen from the dead, and they gathered together with him again. And so they probably thought to themselves 50 days later, after Jesus spent time with them, and then 40 days later, about 10 days later, those of you who follow the Revised Common Lectionary, we often celebrate the ascension of Jesus, that Jesus once again removed and departed himself from the disciples. And about 10 days previous from Pentecost Sunday, it says that Jesus once again departed their presence. And so you have to wonder what the disciples were thinking, what was going through their mind 10 days later. They were probably wondering to themselves, well, if we keep praying, if we keep gathering together, maybe Jesus in three days will come back again. Maybe if we just stay together, we sing some hymns together, we worship and pray, if we just, if we just be faithful, gathered in our space, Jesus will come back. After the first day, they probably thought to themselves, well, you know, maybe we just need to pray harder. You know, the second day came and Jesus hasn't come back. And they thought to themselves, what are we going to do? You know, what, when is Jesus going to come? Well, what would Jesus do? And so maybe they made some bracelets. What would Jesus do? And thought to themselves, if we make good bracelets, Jesus will come back. But Jesus didn't come back. Third day, they thought to themselves, surely Jesus will come back. But he didn't come back. So instead of the bracelets, they started making little fish symbols. And they started handing out fish symbols to wonder, if we have fish symbols, maybe Jesus will come back. On the fourth day, still, Jesus didn't come back. So they thought to themselves, maybe we need to recite the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father who art in heaven. They started reciting that over and over again. But still, Jesus didn't come. The fifth day came, and they were still waiting for Jesus, and he still didn't come. So they thought, maybe we need to write some new songs. Well, Jesus, Yahweh, you know, maybe, you know, we should sing a new, a a really hip song. Like Jesus, well, he was sort of not just our rabbi or teacher. He was kind of our best friend. So Yahweh was our best friend, and Yahweh is my best friend. And they started singing that. But still, Jesus didn't come. And so the sixth day came, and they still Still, Jesus didn't come, and the seventh day came, and the eighth day came, and the ninth day came, and they were still all gathered in one place, waiting and waiting and waiting. And it says 10 days passed. We think about 10 days passed where the early disciples were all gathered in one place. 
They were probably wondering what to do next. What should we do? How should we pray? How should we function? They were probably a little bit afraid as well. They were afraid of people who were not like them outside of their four walls. And so they gathered together in one place. A little bit of being lost, a little bit of fear. It was safe to be all gathered together, no? And after 10 days, as they were gathered once again in that place, it says all of a sudden, a violent wind came. A violent wind came, and it seemed like tongues of fire came down and touched every single one of them on that Pentecost Sunday. Tongues of fire that touched each and every one of them, and all of a sudden, they were speaking in other languages. How amazing would that be? That was like the Matrix downloaded. I could download another language and speak in another language. How great would that have been when I was a child trying to learn Chinese? My Chinese is terrible. But if only I had a tongue of fire touch me, then I could redeem my grandfather and my father, and they would be proud of me all of a sudden because I could speak Chinese. Let's grab some water here. It says, as they were gathered together, the tongues of fire caused them to speak in other languages. And all of a sudden, they were speaking in not just languages they had heard before, but languages that they had never heard before. They were speaking in languages that they've, they've never even imagined thinking about. They were speaking in languages that they had never even known people were from. People from the Elamites, the Mesopotamians, the Judeans, the, the Cappadocians, the Pontus, the, the, the Parthians, the Medes, the Phrygians even. The Phrygians. Who are the Phrygians? But all of a sudden, people in the neighborhood started hearing languages in their own mother tongue. And they started being curious, saying, what is happening? We're hearing languages in our own heart language. I don't know if you have a heart language besides English, but when you hear a heart language that you grew up with, and all of a sudden you hear it, something triggers. I'm terrible at speaking Chinese, but when I hear someone speak Mandarin, oh, someone's speaking Mandarin, because those are the words my mom would speak to me growing up in Mandarin. It's your heart language. And so God, in that moment, caused the disciples to get beyond their four walls. He forced them out with tongues of fire. Forced them to move beyond just this safety of being together. Forced them to move beyond just in this one place of being gathered in one place. What I'm curious about with this passage is this movement of Scripture over and over again, where God causes his people to move beyond the safety of four walls, to move beyond just people who are like them, to move beyond just people who are like them from this, the safety and just the, the huddled of just people who are like them, to move beyond that. If you read through the entire book of Acts, you'll see that God continues to move his people beyond just Jerusalem, but to Antioch, to other cities like Ephesus, Philippi, and so on and so forth. Until the very end of Acts, it actually ends with the disciples finding themselves in Rome. And we all know that all roads lead to Toronto, I mean to Rome. And since all roads led to Rome, in essence, God was saying, when you go to Rome, you will reach the world. And so this movement happens all through the book of Acts, but it doesn't just start and end in Acts. If you go before the New Testament, those of you who have a Bible, 
you realize that God was moving his people into exile, into Babylon, which was the empire of the entire world at the time. It wasn't very nice to be exiled, but they were moved into the rest of the world. Even before Babylon, they were exiled from Egypt into the wilderness, into the world. And sure, it was nice to be freed from slavery in Egypt, but God was forcing them to move out of just what they knew to new places. Even before that, in the book of Genesis, God calls Abraham not just to be a blessing and to be blessed himself, but to be a blessing to the nations, to the nations, to people who were not like him. God said, be a blessing to people who are not like you. And it goes even further back from Genesis. The Tower of Babel is not just the creation of languages. It was God restoring his initial plan of being scattered around the world. This idea of scattered or the diaspora, we often talk about the diaspora coming in the book of Acts when the Jewish people were scattered because of persecution. And this scattering was God's movement of his people saying, hey, we want you to be, I want you to be all over the world, not just huddled in one place, but to be all over the world interacting with people from every single nation. It's curious as to why to me, as I look over that, and as I've studied scripture over the years, why would God cause his people over and over again and encourage them and force them and eventually need fire to move them to interact with other people? And I think it's because it's oftentimes not in our human nature to be with people who are different than us. There's a saying in English that I've often heard, birds of a feather flock together. Birds of a feather flock together. I don't think there's a Chinese translation to that, but anyways, I heard that growing up. Birds of a feather flock together. And that comes from science. In the science world, a little known uh, observation called, called homophily. And homophily is basically this observation that scientists had where they watched certain birds only flocking together who were like them. And homophily happens in our world as well. People had this tendency, people still have this tendency to constantly be around people who are like them. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but God has this encouragement of moving beyond that, to find people who are like you, but then to move beyond that in some of the training that we do at the Tyndale Intercultural Ministry Center. I'm so thankful of Pastor Nestor reading Tyndale Intercultural Ministry Center. Oftentimes, I have to introduce myself as Tim from the Tim Center. <laughs> and it pains me a little bit because it's not, it's not named after me in any way, shape, or form. But it, my parents were prophetic and they knew that I would be one day. Anyway. So at the Tyndale Intercultural Ministry Center, one of the things that we do is we do training around diversity, working with churches, uh, nonprofit groups, profit groups, settlement agencies to help them move uh, past just homophily and gathering with one another to build skill sets to move beyond that. We often talk about the intercultural development continuum because there really is a continuum of, of moving from staying with people who are like you to eventually being around people and being intercultural to interact with the diversity that is around us. We talk about this continuum of moving from denial to polarization to minimization to acceptance to finally adaptation and integration. What's really neat about this continuum 
continuum, and what I like about this continuum is that it actually at least spreads out the idea that it's a significant journey. It's not just flip a switch and then, oh, I'm diverse. No, it's actually a journey that you need to intentionally work on. We have an expensive assessment tool that I'm happy to charge you for, um, but we charge people for to assess where people are at, and then we do training one-on-one, -on -one. we do executive coaching with different leaders and staff. But this is basically, in a nutshell, what the continuum talks about. That for many people, when they're born and they start growing up, they're in this denial phase that oftentimes they just think, well, culture and diversity doesn't make a difference. We're all kind of the same. There's either good people or bad people, and that's in denial. There's nothing wrong with denial, but there's not a lot of right things with denial. Eventually, we find people who have started to interact with others move into what we call polarization. And in polarization, it's not just that you're just polarized because you're different. You start interacting with people who are different than you, and you start making judgments of either those people are either good or those people are either right. And oftentimes, we'll find people either overly critical of other people groups or overly critical of themselves, and they're polarized. Eventually, perhaps with some different experiences they have, perhaps with good training from the Tim Center, they move into what we call minimization. I don't love the name minimization. It's actually you're minimizing differences, but maximizing what do you have in common. We joke sometimes that minimization is the Canadian stage because everything about Canada oftentimes points us towards minimization, which is a good stage because you're not in denial, you're not in polarization, but you're minimizing the differences and just celebrating what do we have in common. Again, a really great stage, oftentimes in this stage, and if you're there, God bless you, I sometimes dance in that space as well. It's a good place to be, but in minimization, oftentimes you'll hear people say, oh, 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 I don't see color. We're all the same. But that may be a good thing, but when you don't see color, you don't see my identity. And when you don't see my identity, you don't see who I am. And so we often encourage people to move past the minimization into acceptance. Now again, I don't love the term acceptance. This comes out of the scholarship and act of the research that, that was initially written a couple decades ago. Um, I prefer the name acknowledgement of difference. And acknowledgement of difference in that stage, you're identifying that there are differences and identifying that, hey, I want to learn from people who are different than me. I'm interested to understand, well, why do you wear those clothes? Is there something more symbolic behind that? Do you sing songs in a different way? Do you eat foods? Do you think about your parents in a different way than I do? And what can I learn from you that I don't know? And so that stage acceptance is a really deeper understanding of asking better questions. And then finally, we move people towards adaptation, where they can go back and forth between cultures and between ethnicities. So this is moving people beyond just racial differences to beyond just ethnic differences to cultural differences where we actually value different things. And the hope and goal is, is as we move people along this continuum, that eventually they move into adaptation and finally into a transformative stance where they can change the world. In scripture, we see people like Jonah, who I preached about some time ago. I can't remember when it was. But for those of you who know the story of Jonah, Jonah is clearly polarization. He's the type of person, whether or no you know the story or not, who dehumanized the people of Nineveh, people who are not like him. He dehumanized them so much that in the end, God said to him, you care more about this worm and this flower than you care about those people who don't know me yet. 
The story of Abraham, for those of you who know the story of Abraham, we have a little bit more than four chapters of Jonah, of Abraham, and we know that Abraham actually moves from polarization into minimization. And what's really neat about that is that someone can move from one place to another through their life stage. Another character in the New Testament we often talk about is the uh, disciple Peter. And Peter is really neat is that he starts in polarization. He has this dream on top of a roof where he's super hungry. He's actually a little bit hangry, right? And he dreams about food coming down. And by the end of the chapter, he moves himself into minimization. But if you follow along scripture, you actually see him backslide back into polarization, which tells us that it is possible, depending on the experiences you have, depending on what's going on in your life, that you can be moved not just forward, but oftentimes behind and in a back stance. I was talking to a friend in these last few years, and he was sharing with me, he was actually a pastoral friend, and he would share with me how oftentimes on the way home from church, walking after he had been ministering and preaching and teaching, oftentimes he was stopped by the police walking home from church. And the police would say to him, hey, can we help you? And he said, nope, just walking home. Well, you don't look like you live around here. When you're stopped by the police, not just once, but twice, but three times, maybe throughout your life, and for them to ask you, you don't look like you live around here, that would cause you to be somewhere on this continuum because of those experiences. And then we turn to the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, where we believe that he is moving right into adaptation. A person who worked with Gentiles, with Greeks, with Jewish people. In fact, at a certain point in the New Testament, he says, to, to the Jew, I become a Jew. To the Greek, I become a Greek. To the Gentile, I become a Gentile. I have become all things to all people so that I might save some. What I love about that continuum is simply to say that it takes intensive, intentional work to actually move into a real diverse stance, into a real inclusive stance, because really it's a long, long journey to actually work to get there. If I asked you what people group in Canada comprise 20% of our demographic, What would you say? 20% of Canada is one people group. Any idea? I see a hand. Indigenous? Ah, uh, you know what? I don't have the numbers on indigenous because it's probably all over the map. But a newer Canadian group comprised 20% of Canada. And that's Asian Canadians. Asian Canadians comprise 20% of Canada. Now, I'm not here just to be pro-Asian because I happen to be Asian, but it happens to be the month of May. And I don't know if you know, but May is Asian Heritage Month in Canada. And I know all of you have been celebrating Asian Heritage for the last 27 days, but easy now, you know, hold back a little bit. Don't be so hardcore about it. But May is Asian Heritage Month, which is significant not just because it's yet another month to celebrate, but it's Asian Heritage Month in the year 2023. In the year 2023. I'm trying to locate the times and locate where we are. And I don't know if 2023 means anything to you, but 2023 is the 100-year anniversary of the Chinese Immigration Act. The Chinese Immigration Act. Now, some of you don't know what the Chinese Immigration Act is, but in 1923, the Canadian government implemented the Chinese Immigration Act. Some of you are thinking, oh, 
that was really nice. They enacted a law where they welcomed Chinese people. No. In 1923, the Chinese Immigration Act was better known as the Chinese Exclusion Act, meaning they said, no more Chinese. If anyone ever says to you, oh, in Canada, we don't have systemic discrimination. 1923, our country said, no more Chinese. Now, I, again, am not here trying to invite you to go protest City Hall, Queen's Park. I'm not trying to say that. But it's taken a hundred years, a hundred years to go from you are not welcome here to Asians being 20% of Canada. That's a significant journey. Because the truth is, is that diversity is already here. Diversity is already in our midst. Diversity is a fact. Whether it's gender diversity, whether it's age diversity, whether it's ethno-cultural diversity, there is diversity around us. But to move from diversity to inclusion, it's a whole different conversation. Inclusion is a verb, it's an action, it's not just a fact. Inclusion is something you have to act on and move towards. And when we are active in moving people towards inclusion, then we start talking about people feeling belonging and people feeling welcome. And when people start feeling welcome, then eventually we can start talking about transformation. And when we start talking about transformation, we start talking about God's vision for the world. It says in our scripture today that Jews from all nations, from every nation, were gathered in Jerusalem. They didn't just happen to all live there. God was taking grasp of a certain time 50 days after Passover. 50 days after Passover was a festival in the Jewish calendar called Shavuot. Shavuot. Shavuot was the festival of harvest. It was the festival of harvest where all the Jewish people would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so every language and every nation just happened to be in Jerusalem when Jesus decided, when God decided, you guys better get out of these four walls and reach the people around you. Uh, maybe a little bit of fire will get you guys going. In 1909, a small little fire caused this little church, a little Presbyterian church, to move to 630 Spadina Road, Spadina Avenue. A small fire in 1909 caused the church to move to 630 Spadina Avenue. In case you're wondering, you're at 630 Spadina Avenue. A few decades later in the city, and I don't know what the demographic was on Spadina Avenue. I was not here in 1909. I know Asians don't raisin. However, I was not alive in 1909. A few decades later, the city of Toronto decided, well, we really like Dundas and Bay. We'd really like to uh, maybe build a city hall at Dundas and Bay. But you know what? There's all these Chinese laundromats and Chinese restaurants and Chinese community who are living at Dundas and Bay. What if we just moved them? And so the city of Toronto moved the first Chinatown in Toronto from Dundas and Bay. And they said, ah, go to Spadina. And they moved the Chinese community from Dundas and Bay to Spadina. And those that couldn't afford to live in Spadina went east to Broadview. Welcome to two Chinatowns in Toronto. There's actually like four now, just in case you're wondering, right? 
But I wonder, what did the Christians at that time do when all of a sudden a whole group of Chinese New Canadians found themselves on Spadina Avenue? And I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't here at Knox, and I don't know what the history of outreach was at that time. Forgive me, but I'm a Baptist. And I know the Baptist history in Toronto. And there was a small church just down the road from here called Beverly Street Baptist. And Beverly Street Baptist in 1950 had been welcoming different communities in their midst. A Czechoslovakian community, a Hungarian community, a Swedish community, a German community, an Estonian community, and even an Italian community. Even the Italians they welcomed in their midst. And in 1967, 12 international students came to Beverly Street Baptist, 12 Chinese international students. They knocked on the door and said, we're looking for somewhere for us to have a Bible study. And in 1967, Beverly Street Baptist said, well, yeah, the Hungarian group just moved out. Why don't you guys have a Bible study in our back room? And in five short years, those 12 international students grew to a size so big that they eventually bought the building. They bought the building from Beverly Street Baptist. I don't even know if Beverly Street Baptist exists anymore. Maybe I should Google it. But Toronto Chinese Baptist Church eventually went on to plant East Toronto Baptist Church, which is I'm a part of. It eventually went on to plant Scarborough Chinese Baptist Church, Mississauga Chinese Baptist Church, Markham Chinese Baptist Church, Pickering Chinese Baptist Church, Windsor Chinese Baptist Church, and so on and so forth. And I'm not trying to say, oh, how great the Chinese people are, because the Chinese community is guilty of birds of a feather flocking together and sometimes needing a little more than encouragement to get beyond their four walls. But how amazing it was that because of the missional heart of a small little Baptist church right along Spadina, that God was able to bless the nations. Ladies and gentlemen, Mission is at our doorstep. Mission isn't just somewhere in the world. God bless those of you who are compelled and moved to go globally. Amazing. Continue to do so. But God has brought the nations to our doorstep. I don't know your heart. I don't know the relationships you have. But my prayer is that God doesn't need another fire to cause us to think of the nations. Because the nations are already here. That act in 1923, the Chinese Immigration Act, was applied in our great nation on a day in 1923 called Dominion Day. That day was supposedly a great day of celebration for Canadians. For the Chinese community, Dominion Day became a great day of humiliation after decades of helping to build, literally build, the railroad and build our nation, the Chinese community in 1923 started calling July 1st Humiliation Day. Dominion Day became known as Canada Day. For those of you planning to celebrate Canada Day, City Hall has it, City Hall doesn't have it, City Hall has it, City Hall doesn't have it. I think at this point, City Hall is having a celebration. For those of you planning to celebrate Canada Day or Dominion Day, May we think of not just our peoples, not just think of the peoples of our past, but the peoples who are in our midst now, who God has called us to celebrate. Who are those people on Canada Day who are not being humiliated, who are being humiliated right now that we need to reach out to, 
to cross the street to, to open our doors to. I've invited a few uh, reflection questions. That was my cue for reflection questions because I don't remember what I emailed to you. There we go. To reflect and to think about. We all have different journeys and different stories in our lives. And I'd like you to think to yourself, what are the milestones in your life that have shaped how you see difference? Because we're all on this journey of working across difference. And then I want you to ask maybe to yourself, maybe to those around you, who are at your doorstep? Because our communities are incredibly diverse. When we talk about Asia, obviously Asia is not just Chinese people. Asia is the Philippines, Vietnam, Pakistan, all of these countless nations who God has brought to our doorstep. Who is at your doorstep, in your community, in your workplace, in your church area? And who have been scattered that God is, God is calling you to celebrate? Who are the people of the world who have been scattered that God is calling you to celebrate? I don't know, again, where you're at, but on this Pentecost Sunday, May we not just celebrate with clothing and a few songs here and here the diversity of our world. Let us be intentional, intentional to hear the stories, to talk to, to build relationship with, to invite into our homes, to tell people of Jesus, to share Jesus in every way possible, and when necessary, use some words. Because Christ has come for all nations. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we continue to worship and be in your presence, may you open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to the scattered of this world. And maybe we too have been scattered from one place to another. Maybe, if not us ourselves, our mother and our father. If not our mother and our father, perhaps generations upon generations of being scattered. And we know that story continues. That story continues to challenge many people. But may we see that challenge not just as, an, as a fact that we need to deal with, but a divine opportunity. A divine opportunity for your love to reach the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.